Noah Walker is one of only a handful of working architects that has captivated me over the last decade. And I can yet again thank social media for effectively making this episode happen. Noah and his firm, Walker Workshop, popped up on my Instagram feed several years ago, and I've been a fan ever since. His ability to combine warmth with minimalism is really what draws me to his work. And in times when trends tend to become status quo, Noah's designs truly exemplify the intersection of dream and reality. Prior to recording, Noah and I had never met, and I can't thank him enough for taking the time to chat with me. He wasn't feeling well the morning we were supposed to record, yet he instead opted for that afternoon, neither of which I anticipated. So, much respect to Noah on this one for what was really an enjoyable meetup and conversation. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard H Podcast. Really nice to meet you, man. Thank you, Wesley. Well, nice uh, to meet you, too. Thank, uh, thank you for, for, for being on the, the podcast, um, especially on a day where you weren't feeling so hot. And I'm feeling better now. Um, but that's all good. Um, well, first and foremost... Um, usually start with kind of like how you grew up where you grew up that kind of thing are you from this area um actually born out in santa barbara but i spent most of my life on the east coast actually went to um high school college grad school all in the east coast so starting in philadelphia and then working my way up to harvard for grad school oh nice yeah and then uh worked in new york for a while awesome people do you know yeah sure for four or five years and then came out here about 12 years ago what, what like what was childhood like? Were you drawing, doodling, that kind of thing, building uh, with Legos? I'm assuming that's a good question. You know, is it, was it? I was I was doing art. You know, I was definitely taking art classes. You know, some Legos, like all the kids are into Legos. You know, but probably space Legos. Sure. You know, but this was before the Legos got crazy too. I mean, yeah, we're probably some oh, age, yeah. and then Legos were just pretty basic back then. You yes. Know? Yeah, <laughs> just the blocks. You had to be a little bit more inventive. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, just drawing. I was always, you know, sometimes I was even drawing cities, you know, and stuff like that, like maps and stuff like that. So I was definitely in, interested in, you know, urban environments and stuff like that when I was a kid. And then um, didn't really catch on to architecture until college. You know, I had a, it wasn't what I was planning on doing in college, but then I took just a great architectural history class. Where did you go to undergrad? Uh, Haverford College in oh, where's that? Philadelphia. Oh, cool. Yeah, and got um, it. had a great teacher was really into the subject matter and I was like, why don't I ex- expand on this and, and yeah. see what other courses there are? So I got deeper into it and ended up graduating with like a, a pre-architecture degree uh, from Haverford and um, knowing that I would work a few years and then go, go on to grad school because the way architecture structured you, you need a professional degree. So either you go for like a five-year bachelor, which I didn't do, or you go for a, a master's degree later. So that's, what, yeah. that's, the, that's the route I took. And yeah. you did that at Harvard? Yeah, yeah. How did Boston treat you? Cold, <laughs> cold. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's a cool place. Obviously, there's a lot of brilliant people there, and it's a cool place to study. Yeah. Summers can be nice, you know. But um, it's, it's great a good to drinking get out city. To. I don't know. Oh if yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> really it's, big into uh, sports. Are you into sports at all? Um, yeah, yeah. It was it was great to you know. I'm still a Red Sox fan because of it. Nice. You know, I think I was was I up there. The, it, yeah, it was the first first time they won. I was up there. You know, it was right right after I was just wrapping up school, I think. And I'm dating um, myself here, but I yeah. I idolized Wade Boggs growing oh, up. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. I was a third baseman uh-huh. growing up. So oh, you were you played baseball? Yeah, nice. yeah. Nice. But uh, that's cool. Yeah. Just, yeah. So do you ever get back up to that I part of the country? I haven't been back to Boston in probably five five years or so. Sure. Yeah, but I don't get back up there too much. I go to New York. Yep. Um, f- pretty frequently, but not sure to Boston. And uh, yeah, I'll be in New York and three weeks nice so nice. yeah i'm excited yeah new york is i think a, a, a really cool place I, I, I like visiting new york more than i like sure. living in new york you know it's a long weekend yeah exactly four day yep. weekends is a long um yeah it's a, it's a grind if you live there oh but for sure yeah, yeah so. with all the elements and everything yeah. great for architecture though it is there there's some really cool uh buildings popping up in new york right now it seems like it's a pretty lively scene yeah yeah especially yeah. on that west side um, everything yeah, grown up yeah, like uh, was that like Hell's Kitchen, uh, kind of maybe a little Yards. south of that. Yeah, yeah Hudson Yards. Yeah, yeah, I checked out Hudson Yards a c- couple weeks ago. Oh, how it was, was it? It was interesting. You know, I mean, there's that area is getting a lot of criticism and probably justifiably because of its sort of crass commercialism. Got and, it. And uh, it's basically just a big shopping mall with a 
with a sh- flashy sculpture in front of it. But the sculpture's cool. There's gonna be a lot of selfies taken sure. in front of it. You know, well, so that's kind of the way the, the world, world is. Now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Social media. Um, well, got it. So, what was uh, family life like? What did your parents do? Um, do you come from an architect's no, family? No, I'm the okay. only one in the whole family. Most, most of people in my family are, are ministers. Yeah, my dad was a minister. My mom's a minister. I have a half-sister that's a minister. Wow, um, that's awesome. So, that, in fact, that, that led to a lot of travel when I was a kid. My, my dad would go from, he probably popped between cities every couple of years. So, I lived in a, a bunch of places up until high school. Oh, wow. Yeah, which was kind of an interesting way to, yeah, to see, see some different cities. I lived in Colorado for a while, lived... Oh, cool. In Miami, um, Virginia, and then, and then Philadelphia. Wow, is that normal? So, um, no, it's just sort of his profession. You know, I think that he was he, he traveled to different churches as a way of, um, I guess he was reorganizing them, and then and then he move on to the next one. So, yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, because I mean, that's, that spans some distance, you know. Oh like yeah, he, you know, Colorado, Miami. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not just within the yeah. state kind of thing. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, but Colorado was cool. I, I mean, I, l- I learned to ski out there when I was younger, so I still yeah. try to ski as much as I can. You know, it's hard, hard to ski when you're running a business and everything. But uh, The hills uh, in North Carolina are pretty small. I've, so skied, it. I've skied at Boone. Oh, have you? Yeah. Sugar yeah. Beach Mountain? Uh, probably Beach, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. but the first time I ever oh. went to, like, a big hill was in Colorado. Yeah, Colorado's yeah. great. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah beautiful um, out there. Yeah. That's great. Um so after Harvard, where what were some of like your first gigs? Uh, yeah, down in New York. So I went to, to New York. I worked for a little bit for um, the, the architecture department chair at, um, at Harvard when I was there. She's a, a woman named Tashika Mori, who still has a really great thriving practice in New York. I worked for her for a little bit. And then um, a gentleman named Francois de Manil, who's a sort of family uh, claim to fame is the Manil um, Museums in Houston. So there's a oh, lot wow. of really beautiful, he has a lot of really beautiful uh, modern residential work. Um, it was great to work under him for uh, probably a little over a year because I was the only person that worked with him. So I had just one-on-one tutelage for a little bit and, and obviously a really great obsessive attention to detail from him. And then I went off and worked for a couple more years um, for a place called Peter Peter Gluck and Partners, which is in New York too, and they do they do design build, and that was something I was interested in, starting to sort of wrap my mind around is the, the idea that the architect can also produce the work as a contractor, right. and that that's super cool because then you get you get sort of a hands-on um, ability to control the work from uh, from the eyes of an architect, which has been really rewarding uh, yeah. to do that way. Now, for those that don't know, like, what, what is the distinction, right, yeah. of just between, like, even from a business perspective? Um, typically, the architect is just there to, to uh, execute a design, essentially. So they will, they'll do a set of d- d- documents, construction documents that are basically like a recipe for how to cook the soup, essentially. But then they give that recipe off to a chef, essentially, would be the contractor that would make the soup essentially and then you say well is the soup did you make it right does it taste good yeah okay great um but in design build then we're 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 basically in control of the whole production from the design all the way through to to the physical act of making the building which is cool because i think that architects um have a little bit more well a lot more actually interest in producing high quality work you know great design versus where whereas a contractor their mentality is typically to produce the work um, and to make money on it, right? Know, so. Margin. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's, a, it's a distinction there, and sometimes those two are in opposition. You know. So, right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I think more architects now are becoming design builders, probably for that reason, right? Or do you feel like? Um, is it I think it's it's growing. I don't think it's growing super fast. I actually think it's r- really difficult. I think it's 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 probably a, a challenge for a lot of architects to do because. Um, the infrastructure required for running a construction company is quite different than architecture, actually, and so it sort of means you have to sort of expand your footprint in ways that are challenging. Um, I'd say that the amount of time that you put into cons- a construction project is maybe three or four times the amount that you put into the design, so it really forces you to go really deep into sort of man hours and, 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 and working methods to sort of p- pull it off. And, and so um, when I was starting out, my own my own business we were you know just a couple of people and so we would do essentially almost like one house or one and a half houses at a time it's it hasn't scaled the same way you know when, when we're in an office now that 
we, I think we're probably producing 10 houses or something like that a year. We're not building all of them anymore because we just... Uh, capacity? Uh, yeah, capacity. A construction company that does 10 houses a year is a big construction company. And, and you know, th I think that our general ethos and, and ideas to stay at an architecture firm first um, and focus on the, on the design aspects of it first. So we do, um, I think right now we have two, home, yeah, two homes under construction. That's probably a good pace for us. So we'll, we'll do one or two homes a year that are sort of more of a, a special bespoke sort of relationship. And then the rest of the homes, we, we, we do the traditional architect, uh, do the drawings, yep. give the drawings Concepts to the GC and then go out and visit the site. You know, and make sure it's being executed right. So, what is the structure of your company currently? Um, How many employees do you have? Like we're about, um, let's say, eighteen or twenty. Okay. Um, mostly architects. I think there's a dozen trained architects in the office, um, and then the rest are support staff. We've got three people that are specialized in construction. You know, as construction managers, and then um, one or two, depending upon how busy we are, we uh, true carpenters. Yeah. So we do we do a lot of the. Um, the, the pickup work and finished carpentry work ourselves on the projects. Oh, that's which great. Which is great because there's a little bit more control yeah. over um, some of the weird stuff that we do. So there's just sometimes there's stuff that we, we might get an assignment or, or have a piece of the design that nobody wants to touch, for example, and then it's like, well, somebody's got to do it. Yeah, you know? sure, so sure. it's going to fall on us to do that yeah. as well. So when, did, when, when was the company founded? Uh, 2010. Okay, so you're nine now, years old. Years, yeah. Oh, that's great, yeah. man. Congrats. Yeah. That's awesome. So do, do you do much commercial work then? We Obviously, haven't done any. None. Yeah, no, zero. No. Would love to. I, mean, I was going to say, because I've, I've noticed it's mostly homes. It's all residential so far. We'd, I would love to do a, a commercial project, whether it's a store or a restaurant, bar. Bar would be great, because then, you know, anytime you go in there, <laughs> right? here's yeah. a drink. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, you got to be, yeah. you know, everlasting tab. Yeah. Do you think that the approach would be any different, obviously, for like a commercial space versus residential? Like, um, not. I mean, so I think they'd be surprisingly similar. I mean, I, I think our work is really um, tends to be really pared down and simple. We try to get to the sort of the essence of what what the space requires, um, not to make it too fussy and complicated. Typically, so I think that would be the same whether it was a restaurant or a um, a house. You know, I mean, obviously, some of the, the the, the stuff that you do in a commercial space would be different, but we would definitely try to keep the aesthetic similar and, yeah. and sort of the notions of what we're trying to do similar. So what, how would you describe your style, um, you personally? It's, it's sort of a, a warm, organic minimalism. Mm -hmm. It's definitely modern, but it, you know, unlike a lot of modern architecture that can come off as a little bit cold and off-putting, we, we try to keep it very accessible. Um, we try to keep it simple. I, I mean, I, I think a lot of um, the nicer moments in our projects are, have to do with like the way light travels through spaces and, 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 and trying to be sort of elegant proportions and stuff like that. Um, I really enjoyed just through the photos and such uh, your use of woods and things oh like cool. that. Like, um, you know, I think a lot of modern architecture is just concrete, glass and steel, you know, and right. then a lot of times oh. you can introduce woods. I think the wood is really what gives you that warmth. Yeah. Um, is there any particular wood that's your favorite or uh, like any materials um, per it's se? A, it's a weird thing. Like we, we do use cedar. Cedar's tough um, to put on the outside just because it takes a lot of maintenance, especially if you're down at the coast or somewhere like that. You have sure. to maintain your cedar probably twice a year with you know new f new finished coats on it and stuff like that. I like Ipe. Um, mm -hmm. Ipe's a little bit harder to work, um, but it's um, dense and non-combustible. You could just let it go gray if you wanted to, so it could, it's, it's essentially a no-maintenance. Um, okay. Material. We we've done a couple of projects in this stuff called Shosugi Ban, mm -hmm. which is super cool. That's um, Japanese. Japanese, yeah. That's a traditional Japanese way of basically they 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 burn the wood in advance of putting it on their houses, and, and that sort of sucks all the moisture out of it, and makes it very inert. So you end up with this sort of charred-looking uh, outer skin on it that they don't have to maintain at all. You right. know, that goes on. It looks pretty cool. I mean, it looks dark. You know, and that lots sort of, texture. of mitigates expansion and things like that yeah, too. Yeah, it's very stable. I mean, we put we put some shosugi ban on some projects very close to the beach, and the the maintenance requirements for that are way down. You know, twenty five percent of what it would be for cedar or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's it's, great. Yeah, it works great at the beach. Well, I was just about to ask you about yeah. inspirations. Is is Japan? Japan's awesome. Huge. Yeah, Japan's great. Been there a couple times. Every but both times I went, got a lot of inspiration from um, people like Tadao Ando, who's you know famous. Um, Japanese architect known for his concrete work, which is impeccable. Um, there's Kengo Kuma, who's who's um, 
doing really beautiful. He does a lot of beautiful wood uh, woodwork. I think he's also he might be the architect for Starbucks over there too. Oh, is that he right? He just finished like an amazing Starbucks. Oh wow! Store in um, Tokyo. Yeah, or? in Tokyo. Okay. And I think obviously I think he's also doing the Olympic Stadium. Oh wow! Too, so he's doing big and small projects. But yeah, he's yeah. He's definitely an inspiration too. Oh, that's very cool. What were some of the early days inspirations? Like any architects, you know, while you were at Harvard or otherwise? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, it, I mean, Ando was definitely on the scene then. There's um, Peter Zuntor, who's, sure. who's actually I, he's he's a great one to to admire and follow too. His his work is actually really uh, diverse. I feel like, but incredibly well, like impeccably detailed and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing the the LACMA Museum. The new one here, I guess, has already been approved by the county, so we'll see how that one turns out. And I think that's probably its first building. Is that an expansion on the current LACMA, or is that yeah, different? Yeah, it's an expansion. I think oh. they're going to tear down a section of it and then build a new museum. That's awesome. So, yeah. I had no idea. That's great. While working for those other people, like in New York and mm-hmm. such, were you working on your own personal projects, too, that you no. would commission? or No. No, so you just, were just, just learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Just sort of. You know, busy, you know, architects typically might work a 50 or 60 hour work week. There's not a lot of time to sort of cultivate your own personal stuff. And I also, New York's York's an interesting market too. It's it's hard for young architects, I feel like, to start out because um, it's so, I guess, institutionally entrenched, New York. I mean, I think if you're a young architect, you're lucky to get to remodel somebody's kitchen or something like that. Right, yeah. There's not a whole lot of exterior walls or envelopes that you're going to get to play with as an independent architect in New York until you're much older. Um, which is was one of the uh, draws of coming out to LA, right. honestly, because the, um, the the scene of construction out here is much more open-minded and free. You could be you could come in at a much younger age, and, and you know instead of doing that sort of loft remodel work that I would would have been probably doing on my own in New York, I was doing homes. You know, and, and so that's a lot more interesting. I feel like because then you have exterior walls to play with and windows and and fun stuff like that. Do you have kind of a favorite city that you like architecturally? I mean, L.A. is really cool, yeah, especially LA the mid-century cool. stuff. But um, New York is cool um, in the States. Uh, I think th- those are the coolest. I want to, you know, I haven't been to um, Fort Worth, but I want to see the Kimball there. Louis Kahn is another, was another inspiration yeah, sure. of mine. I, that's sort of on my, you know, architect's bucket list to go yeah. see the museum there. Um, Salk Institute. Yeah, so I've been to the Salk, Salk Suite. Yeah, it's a, one of my favorite buildings certainly on the yeah. west coast it's, it's, just, it's really cool it's a really cool place to go visit yeah they do cool stuff there too europe at all um or? europe yeah i mean I, I, all the big european cities are amazing yeah. you know paris london i love amsterdam yeah, yeah. have you been uh, i've been to amsterdam uh 2002 uh-huh. so it was a long time ago so okay. i think i was more into what, the, the heineken museum yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and like the party scene in amsterdam. Yeah, and, yeah and the van gogh museum a beautiful city the canals and the, and the small homes so what are some of the things you draw inspiration from now, like today, like mm, when designing a house? architecture. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, love the work of James Terrell, the uh, sort of the installation artist who does light sculptures. Okay. Um, I think that, that sort of what he does with atmosphere is really incredible and in space. So we sort of look to him. Cool. Um, you know, I do, if I'm looking for inspiration, sometimes I do just go to a museum, look at paintings too, just in general. Sure. Um, what are you looking for? Just, just you know, uh, composition, color, uh, space. You know, I, you know, Rothko's another one that I think is r- really interesting that you can throw, you can sort of make associations to that and, and good architecture in some ways. I was thinking about that the other day. You know, Roth- Rothko's are so simple. You know, they're in, in, in like probably all like all of us we go, I could do that. Right. Yeah, but but the minute you try to do that, you realize it, it, how how difficult and complex it actually is. You know, it's like you can hand anybody a bucket of paint, you know, and they're going to paint a wall. It's just going to be a painted wall, you know. But what what takes that paint or those basic materials that he's using and turns it into something that's, like, truly special and magical? Yeah. Um, that's sort of what we try to do in our work, too, is, like, take it from just a, a wall and windows and doors into something that's really, that, that sort of is elevated beyond just the basics of that. Yeah, that's sure. Sort of the, the daily challenge. Well, that sort of makes me think of, like, the whole... Uh, just the idea of when you're trying to design something minimally, it inherently becomes more difficult because there's any mistake is more obvious and things like that. Like when you're designing a home for somebody and especially something that's like minimalistic, do you find that to be, do you find challenge in that? Or like what makes you think, like like what, what draws you to designing more of a minimalistic approach versus say something more ornate? 
I think it might just be personality. You know, I think that we sometimes even in the design process, we, we look at a lot of options and, and, and tend to say, well, can I take this away or how do I make this simpler? And then you get to a point where you've, you've drawn it back so far that there's that moment when if you take uh, if you take one more thing away, it just doesn't, it fall, the whole thing falls apart. And you're like, you know, you found that sweet spot. Yeah. So addition like by subtraction. Right, kind yeah. Of thing. The right balance. Got it. Um, you know, I think that I sort of like that simplicity of it. You know, I went to um, uh, Quaker High School, for example. I think that that actually did have an influence mm-hmm. on um, the work in a way because there's uh, uh, Quaker philosophy is so basic and, and simple. And, and so wanting to, to sort of keep keep that simplicity to the work because um, I think there's a naturalness to simplicity too. Sure. Sometimes when you see complicated stuff, you're like, what's what's it hiding? You know, right. what's what's right. what? Why is this so involved and stuff like that? So we. we we do try to pare it back and keep it stripped down and clean because I think I also think minimalistic or, or 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 simple architecture. You, if it's done well, you can see the idea really easily. You know, there's a, a, a simple concept that, that explains itself really well right. in minimal minimal work. This week's episode is brought to you by Passion Fine Jewelry, located in Solana Beach, California where owners Jana and Tim Jackson welcome you into their living room-like store, carrying a wide range of independent watches and a variety of fine jewelry. Tim is GIA certified, and they also have a goldsmith in-house as part of their staff. Visit passionfinejewelry.com for more information, and if you're ever in Southern California, please make it a point to visit the store. You can also find a wealth of information via Tim's blog, independentintime.com. This episode is also brought to you by Standard H. Standard H.com is where you will find all of our episodes posted, as well as some branded merchandise for those with Drive. Enter the code PODCAST at checkout to get 20% off your entire purchase. Now back to the conversation. So obviously, like topography changes things, right? Like I know you've got the Hilltop House. Yeah. Um, by name, um, I, the Oak Pass House. Yeah, the Oak Pass House too. Which is m- personally my yeah, favorite. Thank you. It's a yeah. lot of people's favorite. Yeah. Obviously, award-winning home. Congrats, by the way. Um, thank you. So, what's the process like? Meaning, how is the approach different? Subtracting topography, mm-hmm. like aside from the fact that it's either on the peak or on the side of a hill or yeah. in a valley, for example. Like, how does the how does the approach change in designing? Is it, let's just use those two homes, for example. Well, topography is definitely a restriction, and so it, it actually helps to have those kinds of restrictions on a project because it helps guide the decision-making process early. Sure, yeah. One of the most difficult projects to start is, is a, a, a flat lot with, with nothing to sort of push back on, so then you're like, well, we basically have nothing to respond to. Sure. So I do, like the, I do like the homes that are topographically complicated because I think that gives you a lot to push on in the beginning. Oh, interesting. Um, cool. You know, Oak Pass certainly it was a, a, a ridgeline property with hilly on both sides so that gave us an opportunity to sort of make some exciting um, moves in terms of the way the geometry of the house played off of the hill. Yeah. Um, same for Hilltop. It was all about, you know, capturing some very special views in that, in that project and sort of view through the house because you had really uh, wonderful uh, views into the valley from that property. So that gave us, you know, it gives you a sort of a logic that you can start to to build the house upon from that. So we, we tend to start by looking at topography and then we place the program into that restriction. So, you know, we, we work on a, a, a programming level early on. So we say, yeah, well, how many bedrooms do you want? What kind of other spaces do you want? How big is the house? Do you want it to be one story, two stories? What are the, what are the important things to you? And then that sort of becomes part of the, the, the mix as, as we start and then we sort of play play program and, and balance up against the lot and try to create some interesting forms and spaces with that. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite things, I'm sorry, I'm just like looking oh, yeah. over at your <laughs> shoulder because I'm like referencing photos that are behind you. Um, what I love about your builds is that there's, there's almost like a, um, the, the indoor outdoor living, right? Like there's like the vanishing of walls almost in some of the, yeah. uh, some of the projects. Can you talk about that and like kind of what the impetus is behind those? Yeah. Well, I think that was a great discovery of living in California too. Um, is just that like probably 90% of the time you can do, you can, you can do indoor outdoor living cause the weather's so great. It's right, the, just the ability and, to do so. Yeah. And it's not, doesn't snow, you know, it doesn't, you don't get too many windstorms and stuff like that. And so 
um, and obviously there's this wonderful tradition of mid-century modern architecture here in Southern California. It's been is, is really where it was 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 generated from, and I think a lot of it did have to do with climate. Just the fact that you could erase a wall between the interior and the exterior, and, and it just makes your homes seem so much bigger, you know, and more grand because you don't you can go right from inside to outside. Not confined by walls. Yeah, so yeah. We, we do a lot of big floor-to-ceiling doors and windows, and, and sometimes they even pocket away completely. I think we have a, a, a big house that we're finishing up now in Truesdale, 20,000 square feet, where most of the windows and doors on the main floor just m pocket into walls, so then they just disappear completely. And wow. Then, and then you just have views for miles. So. Now, is that one story? Is it multiple? It's a, a two-story house. Two-story. Yeah, basement, so it's like technically three stories, but it's a, it's a big house. And um, but again, it was everything about the placement of the house was about the topography and maximizing the views and, and, and getting the best distribution of program on the lot. How does one navigate that relationship with a customer or a client, mm -hmm. for example, with what they hope to get and what's physically possible? Mm -hmm. they, 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 clients often have a lot of hopes and, and, and it's, it's, you know, we, we're still a service industry too and we want to, we want to please our clients. hundred percent. For sure. So. In some ways, that you, you kind of guide them, but you kind of you also need to listen to them carefully and and be very flexible. What we try to do is is give our clients the best possible response to their needs, um, and and because the last thing people want is just sort of a overbearing architect that says no, it's got to be this way or or, or no. You right. Know? So nobody likes so, the word no. <laughs> yeah. So you have to be flexible and and, and sort of in a way like the client's needs are sort of like the wind. You know, you just yeah. have to go with it and, and and let that sort of guide the process and then. It's our job to give them the best possible solution that works with that. And sometimes, of course, you can go back to a client and say, no, these ideas don't work for the following reasons, but usually we're, we're trying, to, trying to work with them and trying to realize their dream house. You know? So I think that it's important that we, we work with them as much as possible to do that. Sure. I think that's what's great about residential, right? Because yeah. you're actually building a home for somebody. Yeah. People who have lived in our finished homes are so appreciative of, of yeah. the sort of the elevated lifestyle that comes out of living in a, a great house yeah just like imagine waking up every day to those sorts of views and experiences and how that might change your psychology sure well like so so what is like an initial meeting like like what are the questions you ask a potential client we we just go through how they live we go through the kinds of you know obviously we the, the basic stuff is like how you know we have a questionnaire too that we we, we hand out specifics to even stuff like how, how much do they cook what kind of cooking do they do you know gas or electric how much storage, food storage they need. So there's there's some fairly detailed stuff that we ask, and then we just try to understand how they live. And then um, so it depends on the client. Some clients are very open-minded, and they're like, get to work, show us what you got. Others come might come with a, a Pinterest board with 200 images on it. And oh, it's sure. so, sort of up to us to, like, translate it, you know, into, into what they want. And sometimes it can be challenging because, you know, if you have 200 Pinterest images, it's a lot of a lot to sort through and a lot to try to understand. God, I can't um, imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just being <laughs> inundated by photos yeah. like that, especially yeah. this day and age. And we don't use Pinterest too much. I mean, I think sure. everybody uses it a little bit as a tool, but we, you know, I, I we try to start a project pretty organically and really look at like what the project wants it to be, you know, based upon the the, the constraints that we already talked about, the program and the site and stuff like that. And then you know, we look at Pinterest more for the detailing. Sometimes, like, hey, this this project has a really cool brick or wood and look at, isn't that interesting how they detailed it or how they hung the brick off of the wall and stuff like that. So it's a little bit more nuanced. But that makes sense. Yeah. So as an architect, how does one find his own or her own voice in like just design in general without being like, okay, well this is obviously just a carbon copy from Frank Gehry, you know, right, like right. what, what is your take on that? Um, it's a good question. I, I think it just was really natural for me. I was lucky that nobody really hired me to do a, a, you know, a Spanish house or a colonial. So I wasn't, I wasn't in that place where I had to conform to what other people were like a style that people were trying to tell me to do. So I kind of feel like very lucky that we were, I was able from project number one all the way to now keep the stylistic sort of experience pretty consistent, which is great. But it's really just been about. Um, trying to stay on brand too. I mean, trying to keep that warm, minimal aesthetic throughout. And the lucky thing is too, is having some some well-published projects early on meant that like people were finding the brand and coming to say, "Hey, I really love that project." So, and and, and that was nice because it sort of establishes the um, the theme for the office, and people people come seeking seeking it out. You know, which is great. So, what was your first project? I did a I did this project called the Hollywood Bungalow for a. a buddy of mine from high school actually it was probably about a nine-month project 
he had just purchased a a, a, a two thousand maybe it's two thousand square foot house up up in Hollywood, typical bungalow style, kind of ratty, sort of a bunch of you know crappy small rooms and stuff like that. And we just gutted it basically for nine months and and rebuilt the interior and put you know new new cabinets and doors and windows in it. But it was great and and um, it was really fun too because I was you know basically working by myself. So you were doing the build. I was doing the build part of it. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, I was obviously I had, you know work with, with subcontractors. So if there was a, you know concrete and window people and plumbers and electricians, but managing all that, even doing some of the the carpentry work myself, and and just being out in the field every day was cool because there were times that we didn't know what we were doing design wise until we just stood in the room and said, why don't we try this yeah. and, and do that? So so we did some pretty cool stuff. We made a, a great skylight in that project that you know we used salvage boards from from all the walls that we took out because the house was you know built in the early 20s so the wood in the house was amazing oh i bet so, so why don't we save this wood and use it as cladding so we pulled the wood out took all the nails out and, and then reused it to clad the skylight in the middle of the house that wasn't there so that kind of stuff was great and that's the kind of that's opportunity awesome. you get when you are in the field sort of reacting to stuff you see in the field versus you know sitting at a desk because i would have you know, we probably would have thrown the wood away you know it's like um, a throwback to the lego days yeah like exactly. let's cool. see if this works <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and do lots of mock-ups and tests and studies like that so that was that was cool that and then that project you know i had it photographed i sent it to dwell magazine dwell was like yeah let's run with this so they that's amazing they published that project that was my first project um, and that was 2010 yeah well yeah it was probably a little bit later than that because if i started yeah maybe it was 2012 2013 by the time by the they time published, it published it, it? Yeah, yeah sure so um, that was great, and then it was just just built off of that. I got another project uh, through through a contact, and then a client for Oak Pass hired me, um, and then that was sort of built off of that. And then when, when Oak Pass was finished, and it sort of got a lot of notoriety, then a lot more people started to come. Sure, that's awesome. Yeah. So, what's like a typical day like for you? Then, are you doing site visits, or are yeah. you mostly in the yeah. office? Or it's a it's a pretty healthy mix these days. I I try to dedicate about half the day every day to office stuff. Um, and I still try to stay very involved with the design. So most of that time is involved with designing projects. Yeah. And then the other half of the day is administrative things, um, whether it's having meetings here with clients, going out to, on to job sites and go, go to several job sites a week uh, for project walks, but trying to stay involved with all aspects of the, of the project, but also trying to stay in, still stay very involved with the design work too, even though we have a staff of 12, sure. sort, of, sort of give them direction. It seems like most of the builds have been fairly local to Los yeah. Angeles. You most know, Venice, I think uh, Manhattan Beach or, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. We've done two down in Manhattan Beach. Um, one we designed in Hermosa um, and then nothing further south than that. I'd love to get down to Orange County and San Diego. I think I wrote it down. There. The Chew Shack? The Chew Shack. Yeah. Yeah. That was that in looks Manhattan awesome. Beach. Yeah. It's a cool house. That was the one that we put Shosugi Bon on. Um, yeah. That's a great is house. Is that the... Uh, is that that's the wood you were talking yeah, about, right? Yeah, the wood. The so I noticed that wood. has reclaimed brick from Shanghai. Yes, it does. How does uh, one reclaim brick from Shanghai? Yeah, so 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 <laughs> they are you know, obviously China is expanding and, and um, at a rapid rate, and they're tearing down old villages and, and communities, and and so I think that there's a company out there that was just sort of like, oh, here's a brick village, and 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 they 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 take all the brick and sell it you know and, and that's you know, incredible the amazing thing is it's relatively I, you at the time it's probably similarly priced now you can fill a shipping container and if you if you bring stuff through china but maybe two thousand twenty five hundred bucks and you can fill a shipping container and get it over here so no the kidding. cost of getting stuff from china is not too bad when you factor in the amount of money you save uh to to get it we've we've, we've gone to china for stone and, and stuff like that before too because it's just worth it what sometimes. kind of brick is it um it, it's like a gray, gray and black brick. It's just like a, it's like a clay brick. A clay, um, okay. Yeah. So it is just still clay. Yeah. It's yeah. not. I don't know because of the color. It's it's almost like um, like a different type of stone, I guess, rather than clay. Yeah. But, I mean, I no, guess by nature, clay. brick has yeah. to be clay. And there's you know. red in it too, but I think we. I don't think we use the red. Got it. We got rid of the red, so maybe like five percent of the bricks were red. Yeah. And uh, that's really cool. Yeah, that was a good a, a good moment to do a sort of that feature wall. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of is it near the stairs? Yeah, right? It's right, it's yeah, right there. Yeah, there. Oh yeah, there, there's a photo yeah. of it right there. Yeah. It's just such a great color, and especially uh, that juxtaposition yeah, with the, the color of the wood. Um, yeah, and that and that stair gets a lot. Of, you can you tell it's washed with light from a giant skylight that we have yeah. running down the middle of the house. Sure. Yeah, it's such a cool house. Um, 
So I've noticed you've been working with Plus Development. Yep. Is that your development side of your business? No, or Plus is, is that a, a different? Yeah. Uh, they're a customer. Yeah. Okay. Plus is a customer. Great, great group of guys. They, um, they're probably doing some of the coolest, most exciting, like uh, speculative work in in LA right now. Sure. Um, How'd you get so paired up with those guys? I threw Oak Pass again. Like they, they oh, saw cool. it. They saw it. And they liked what they saw, and they said, reached out to me and said, "Can you design some homes for us?" So we've done. Um, we have one that's finishing up. Our first one that I did after Oak Pass is, is basically going to be finished this month and hit the market. What's that one called? Uh, it's the Carla Ridge House. Okay. Which is um, being furnished as we speak, so that'll be exciting. See if, see if somebody buys it. And, now, um, is it being sold as furnished, or is it just being sold staged? Furnished. Sold furnished, yeah. I think for these bigger, higher-end homes, the, uh, the tendency is not to stage them because everybody recognizes staged furniture. The, the tendency is to just purchase it. And um, so you get a higher quality... Um, and you of, know the design is synonymous. Yeah, so I'm excited about it. Um, same kind of point of and view. And that's a big house, 20,000 square feet. So they, that's insane. they put a lot of trust in a guy that had only, at the time, done three homes to do a 20,000 square foot house. But it's cool. Yeah, I'm 20,000 square feet in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of those. I mean, it's, it's kind, of, kind of amazing. Yeah. And then, uh, so we've done that one. We got another, a couple, uh, another one under construction with them and a couple other projects. So they, yeah, they've been a, a really great great resource and client to us great like i said a great group bunch of guys too yeah that's awesome just on the topic of design just in general what do you consider to be good design what what constitutes good design that's a great question because so so, so you can go so deep with that right i think i think good design is um it looks incredibly practical it looks you know, sometimes the best design looks like it was always meant to be that way. It was like it looks like it's existed in that form for centuries, um, and and that there's no other way for it to be. Like it's just that naturally perfect. Um, but I think, you know, I th- certainly there's this amount of elegance too that goes into good design. I mean, it's it's hard too, especially like you think about the way social media has affected design too a little bit. It's like you get daily, daily images about like what good design is supposedly. Yeah, but it's good, also good versus popular yeah, can be yeah. very, very like different things. It's, it's sort of morphed in what, what we think of as good design is just because it's a popular, popular on social media doesn't make it necessarily good design. It just happens to be what's trendy this month. And so it's sort of interesting to see, like maybe maybe you take a step back and see what you thought was good design five years ago, and see if it still looks good. And then, and then it's sort of we, at what point does it become timeless? You know, if it's still if it's you look at it ten years later, you're like, yeah. what is that still good or not? You know, yeah, it's still good. Then it, you know, after ten years, it's probably a good design. Well, sure. I mean, that yeah. sort of raises the question too, just in and of itself within the architectural world. Like, obviously, there's been trends throughout the years, and obviously based on geography too. Like growing up in North Carolina most late 70s early 80s homes were split level homes yeah Uh, you had mid-century modern homes in the 50s and 60s that were usually single level Um, you had carports and things like that whereas now you want garages again there's like weather Mm. all sorts of things that contribute to the design but what's kind of your take on trends in the architectural world like it just seems like historically they lasted like a decade, right? This yeah, is even, like a 60s home. This is a 70s yeah, or home. Or even shorter now. I feel like maybe trends are rolling over faster. I notice it. I, and I, tr- I, I do check out stuff like Instagram to see what's trending because it, it's like, wait, I don't want to do that. Um, like the past 18 months have been all about art, arches. Everybody loves to look at arches now. I don't know if that trend is going to stay much longer because it's... Gothic it's architecture. Or even just, just very basic arches yeah not the two gothic but there's sort of a, a modernist arch thing happening a couple of years ago it was like you probably noticed but every single new bar restaurant had to have re- reclaimed wood in it like it was like a thing and then now now you don't see it anymore because it was like a, the trend just got played out but it, it seems like trends are just rolling over much faster now you get like a, a two-year window on a trend in there and then it's like it's been burned out because it's maybe just because it gets so exposed on the internet I feel like, yeah, I feel like those trends, like in the bar scene for sure, mm-hmm. in restaurants and such, initially I think it was just kind of like the architects and the builders just pulling the wool over your eyes based on like, well, this is actually cheaper to build. Uh-huh. So I'm just going to expose the rafters yeah. and all the pipes because I don't have to pay to cover them. Right, right. Like, <laughs> make it, and it looks industrial too. It looks Right, right. Yeah, so and then all of a sudden it's a trend and every, it's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um so, how was that Kanye concert? Oh, you saw that on my screen. Yeah, that <laughs> was uh, that was pretty cool. You know, I 
I wouldn't say I was a fan of Kanye. I'm probably not a fan of Kanye to this day, but it, I was really impressed by the production of that concert that he did. What was that? The Pablo, Life of Pablo tour, where he he was just flying around on the uh, hovering stage over the audience, and there was like a mosh pit below him, and the lighting was just sweet. Did you see it? Did you see the? No, uh, I, d- I didn't yeah. attend, but it yeah. was all over social media, yeah. obviously. And um, the, the way it was produced was just really theatrical and and and, and very cool. There's a magician, I think it was Dan White that helped him with Oh, that. really? Oh, cool. He's the guy at the Nomad Hotel in New York City. Oh, interesting. I think I'll he helped him up. I, I could be wrong, don't quote me, but uh-huh. I'm pretty sure he was the guy that was contributing towards that tour. Okay, I'll have to look that Maybe up. that's why it was yeah. magical, <laughs> pun intended. But um, yeah. So what d- does music play a role in, in your design process um, at all? You know, I, I, it's an interesting thing to try to link music to architecture, Uh it does. I mean, heavily I make, involved in yeah. fashion, obviously, but like, yeah. I mean, obviously, I listen to music all the time, and I probably listen to, you know, some of my favorite music to listen to when I'm making architecture is techno because it just keeps going, you know, and then you can work kind of meditative, for, yeah, for six hours. And I also make techno too. It's a very similar process where you're trying to like get to the essence of a sound and, and strip it back as far as you can until it's, it doesn't work anymore. It falls apart. Same thing as what we try to do with architecture, but it's a completely different medium. Wow, to yeah, work that's in, cool. But yeah, it's. A, that's very cool. Without using a child reference, do you have a favorite house that you've worked on? Uh, meaning, meaning like oh yeah, they're like each your children yeah, is what I mean by yeah. that. Well, I just I, I I think I just pointed out that the the house I would most want to live in, out of all the ones I built, was that guest house at Oak Pass, which was a probably the third one that we did, and and um, just the size of it. I'm not I'm not the kind of person that needs a ten thousand or twenty thousand square foot house to live. In fact, I would probably feel like you don't know what's going on in the other half of your house. Like, I just don't want to pay that light bill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. The heating. So that house was two bedrooms. I think total size was about 2,000 square feet, maybe 2,500 square feet. And it was just, I could live in that. And that, that, that seemed kind really great. Spot. Yeah. And it was up in sort of the way it was built, structured, it was up in the trees. It, the ceilings weren't all that high. I mean, they were maybe like nine feet tall. So it wasn't, there, there's nothing sort of grandiose about it, but it was just really the way the light is in that, in that space and the materiality of the house is just really great. What's been kind of the hardest part about owning your business, but it being a, from the get-go or even up until now, like what's, what's tough for you um, or what's been the hardest part? Probably the, the stuff that they don't teach you in architecture school, you know, the, the day-to-day management of a business, um, sort of, you know, payroll and taxes and insurance and, um, you know, even people management, you know, if you're working by yourself, it's one thing and you can grind. And, but when you have 12 people that you need to inspire and lead, it's a completely different, different ball of wax. So you have to pay attention to that and make sure everybody that is working with you is happy and, 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 and engaged in the work and, and, and feels rewarded. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a completely different animal. They don't, they don't teach that, uh, at least not in architecture school. Maybe they teach it in business school. Um, so there's catching up to that. They just sort of the aspects of running a business and obviously a construction company is, is probably even more more challenging in terms of, um, you know, wor- working with subcontractors, making sure that they're getting paid on time or not not like you know taking advantage of you and and, and getting the details built right can be a, a lot of work just in, on its own too. What's been easy for you? What are some of the easier things? Um, just I you know just lo- doing the work is the easiest part because I love to do it. I just feel like I'm in a natural place to. To, to do the work. So when I get, I do get a little bit of time, an hour or two here to just say, hey, I'm going to design for a couple hours. It's a great, a great spot. And then the, it's, it's obviously so rewarding because you work in these houses and these projects for years to finally see them get finished. Cause it's like, wow, you know, it's, it took a while, but it's, 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 it's the, it's the best feeling to see it, to see it finish and be like, yeah, that it sense of accomplishment. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, I guess I, we kind of glazed over it. What, what, what was sort of the timing like? Like, how did you know you were ready to go out on your own? Like, what made you decide to do your um, own thing? I, 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 there were the recession happened in, in 2008. 2008. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that sort of pushed me out the door a little bit because I, I, I knew, I always knew I wanted to work and I got to the point where I was a little bit stubborn and, and didn't like working for anybody anymore. I was like, I, I knew I had chops, you know, and I was ready to go out and use them. I was like, well, this is a recession. Now is as good a time as any. And, and I had, my buddy had just bought a house and it was just, like, it's like, why don't I do it? Just one project and, and, and build off of that. And I didn't really have a lot of expectations beyond that, but it worked out. So I felt 
felt like you know that's the night one of the nice things about like you know economic booms are great but recessions can be great for people too because it gives you an opportunity to sort of try you know you move in a different direction or or, or or try things that you wouldn't be able to try if you were working through a boom sure. yeah. no i mean i think that could be uh, a little ingredient in the secret sauce you know yeah that's uh you, sure, know. you get to sharpen your sword a little bit during during pe- periods when you're not as busy well and just your comment on yeah. expectations too yeah. you know i think a lot of people come out like swinging for you know trying to hit a home run in their first at bat right um Granted, you got published in Dwell yeah. in the first project, so <laughs> maybe a little bias towards that side. But um, what is some of the the advice that you would give any, say, architecture students these days that are, do you, do you think it's smart for them to work for other people first? Like, what are some of the pieces I do. of advice? I mean, I think, I think you should work, um, they, they almost have to because of the internship requirements um, in architecture. But I'd say work in a few different offices just so you can get exposed to different sizes and, and project types. But also get out in the field, you know, get get involved in making stuff. It's surprising how many architects don't really understand how the world is put together. You know, it's sort of, it seems like absolutely critical to me to understand how pieces are put together of, of, of homes and, and buildings on a technical level. Because um, I think once you have that good technical understanding, it's going to make your design work a lot better too. You'll be a lot more responsible about what you design what you know if you've realized the burden of of um construction and assembly put places on it as far as like you and your personal life like how do you like to spend your free time do you have hobbies like what, um, are, you, what are you into when you're not working i'm i'm either making music or going skiing in the winter in the summer i might go for hikes and stuff like that yeah do you travel for hikes or most <laughs> that's um, good. mostly local stuff um, mostly local. Yeah. Yeah. Like to Mescal, where, where do you like to go? Uh, I like to go up into the mountains, like, like Angeles Forest or oh, okay. Idlewild. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sort of local. Oh yeah. 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 Pretty, pretty local hour, hour drive or so, or go out to the desert. Uh, you know, the desert's beautiful. Palm Springs and Joshua, Joshua Tree is just a great place to go. I like to go out there. Absolutely. Um, or up into the mountains, even the mountains of the Eastern Sierras, even in the summer are just gorgeous. So if I can get out there for a weekend. I've, I've actually do. never been to Tahoe in the winter. I've only been in the summer. Oh, really? It's, just, it's, it's amazing. It's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Great in all seasons. Yeah. Cars? You into cars? Um, I wish I were more into cars. I, you know, I, I, I do, I, I have a, what is it, Land Cruiser 100, which I, I've coveted for a long time, and it's just cleared the 300,000 mark. No way. Yeah, and it's it's doing great. I mean, it's old. It's, a, it's what, 2003, but there's just something about those vehicles that... Last forever. Yeah, they last forever. They, you can take them anywhere. They'll go anywhere. You And I've taken it off-road places. That I was like, how did I just get through that? Because um, I can't go or turn around now. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, so that that's pretty cool. No three-point um, turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, but yeah, Land Cruisers are great. There's like, there's um, they they can do anything trucks, but you know they um, they also are really comfortable too. So it's just it's a nice thing to drive around. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of Land Cruisers. What's your favorite ski area? Uh, these days, Mammoth. I'm a I'm a Mammoth. Guy. Yeah, season like pass guy yeah yeah the season pass so nice. I, that was the icon pass right that's sort of and this year i went to um whistler for the first time which i love whistler's sweet oh it's epic up yeah, there. yeah yeah did you stick more to whistler or blackcomb um a little bit i think it's blackcomb yeah yeah, yeah. It, it, I, historically people used to say blackcomb's a more of a snowboarder's mountain uh-huh. and whistler's more of a skier's mountain oh interesting i snowboard i i liked them both i don't yeah. know how one or maybe all the snowboard parks are on Blackcomb. That might make sense. The coolest thing we did, I did was the um, Blackcomb Glacier. Okay. So I went up there and skied down. I realized that I was going to encounter a snow cave, uh, which is a, a cool thing to do. Sort of, uh, what's this? A big cave, and you you know, unbuckle and you climb into it, and it's like a it's a really cool world in there. And there were just tons of people in there too. I was like, wow, this is ne- never skied anywhere where there was a snow cave to. Yeah, I missed explore. out on that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. And you can ride that um, that big lift that goes between the two mountains. It's just scary rides. You're like this high as an airplane between the two mountains so that was pretty pretty neat back to the business just for a hot second like what how far in advance do you normally get your projects like it it, if somebody calls you up today you know and says hey i want to do a house with you is there what what kind of lead time are they looking at Uh, probably a couple months oh okay yeah it's not too long i mean i think think people that are looking for houses 
uh, they need to go right away, you know. And and so if if we if I was to get somebody to hire me today and hey we need a house, I would I'd say and give me two months and then we'd make sure it was staffed, sure, appropriately that we get going because people buy a lot or buy a property they they don't want to carry it, you know. And there's obviously a, a huge interest in getting the work developed and moving into it. So yeah, it's very hard to you know I've heard about some of the great architects like Glenn Murcutt. I once heard a lecture from him where he was like he works basically one project at a time at the time and didn't have any help so if you want to work with him you have to wait you know and you could wow. be waiting years to, yeah. to get a house from him but um in the interest of just putting work in the world you know the approach is to just before it comes well we'll and it's a at the right project for us we'll do it yeah um, even if it means growing the office to do it sure yeah i guess that was going to yeah. be my follow-up question is yeah. like renovations versus just ground up yeah obviously the preference is to do ground up yeah yeah but we do um we do a couple of renovations here and there, but for the most part, it's ground up, which is cool. There's another sure. cool thing about LA too. So there's still there's still a market for yeah for for ground up construction. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool, man. Well, this has been yeah. fun. This is great. Re- really great to meet yeah. you finally. Uh, following you on Instagram all these yeah, years. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, That's awesome. I really appreciate you having me here in the office. Of course, it was a yeah. pleasure. Okay. Well, great. until next time. Thank you. <laughs> See ya. Okay. Big thanks goes out to Noah once again for having me within the workshop. Uh, He and his team are really working on some remarkable things, so I can't stress enough to check him out online. Also wanted to take the time to thank you guys for listening. The encouragement and support that I've been receiving for these podcasts has been truly overwhelming, and I can't thank you enough. Please visit standard-h.com to support in other ways, such as merchandise purchases. Uh, Use the code podcast once again for 20% off your entire purchase. And yeah, uh, music provided by Jensen Reed and super beautiful. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks.